many doubted we'd ever see it, but here it is. The return to glory. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode number 30 of our podcast, The Outsiders. My name is Bryn Griffiths, and joining us is Robin Brownlee. How are you doing today? I'm excellent. So we've hit the dirty 30 mark, have we? Yes, we have, and this is going to be a great show today. Looking forward to talking to Hockey Night in Canada. Oops! Hockey Night in Punjabi's main guy, Harna Ryan Singh, got a great story, got a great book out. Mm-hmm. We'll chat with him coming up in a couple of minutes. And also a good friend of ours, formerly of TSN, one of, I think he's one of the original guys. We'll, we'll ask him. Ken Chilibeck, who was based in Edmonton, now runs a place called the Vagabond Lodge in Golden, British Columbia. You've stayed there. I've stayed there. Do you have a key there, by the way? Do you have a key handy? Yes, I, 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 have, the key, uh, I have the key right here. You never turned I your never key did- in. I never did return it, and we're talking, this was just when it opened, so 16, 17 years ago. <laughs> the funny thing is, I couldn't think to return it uh, to Ken, but I've still got the key in my drawer, which is odd. Why don't we put that into like a bubble pack and just ship it off to him just for some fun? But uh, are you going <laughs> to tell him on the broadcast when he comes on, or are you just going to tell him before, so in case he gets uh, angry or something? I might have to fess up. I mean, you know, maybe he sends me the bill for getting a new key cut. I don't know. I've never seen Kenny ever get upset. So uh, maybe a couple times in media hockey on a Monday afternoon, but that would be about it. So looking forward to the show. Let's talk about a few things that are going on right now. The NHL general managers got together here in the last few days. And one of the things they talked about was, when are we going to start our next season? Is it going to be a full 82 games? How are we going to handle this? And it's starting to look like it's not going to start when we'd hoped, and that would have been December. That's out for sure. Looks like they're going to get going sometime in January. However, lots of water under this COVID bridge could go between now and then. But I guess if junior, if the juniors is over and you just jump right into the NHL, nobody's really going to miss a beat, are they? Well, you know, Bryn, I don't think it's possible to play a full 82 game season um, and still get back to the old timeline. At some point, the NHL is going to want to do that where, you know, your playoffs are, you know, at some point in April uh, and then you play the Stanley cup. Then, you know, you have your draft, you have your free agency season, July 1st. It's not the only uh, factor but I think it's important for everybody, um, even if things inside the buildings aren't back to normal, that you approach some normal timeline. So if you're going to play, let's say, January, the first week of January, second week of January, January, February, March, April, even if you go to the end of April instead of you know the first week, 10 days as is normal, 80 games in just under four months, just over 20 games a month. That's a hell of a tough road for everybody involved. Maybe you stretch it out um, and the summer becomes shorter. I don't know. But at some point, you want to get back to that original timeline for marketing, for not clashing with other sports, for all kinds of reasons. I don't know if that's possible with 80. I can see it with 60. And they've played 48 in seasons that have been shortened by work stoppage. So I don't think it needs an asterisk. I just think if you go 48 or 60, you got a hell of a lot better chance of returning to that uh, some timeline resembling normalcy down the road. It's funny. The World Series is on right now. I've been watching it all religiously because I don't really watch the regular season. It just doesn't. It's, you know, I got other things to do in the summer months. But once we get into the month of September, and when we get into October, I'm glued to it. And also the drama seems to be increased when it, it's all or nothing. I've really enjoyed this World Series. I know there have been a few blowout games between Tampa and the Los Angeles Dodgers. But you know what? 
It's been great pitching. There's also been unbelievable offense. There's been some interesting decisions made by managers. We had a crazy finish to game number four where the Dodgers mm-hmm. looked like they had it wrapped up and we're going to take a 3-1 series lead. And Tampa, to their credit, never quit. A couple of weird, I call them errors, made by one the outfielder and one by the catcher. But it's been it's been a fun series. Looks like the Dodgers are going to wrap it up. Either way, one of these two cities is going to be a two uh, two city title champion. Los Angeles winning the NBA title with the Lakers, and the Tampa Bay Lightning winning the NHL Stanley Cup. So these two these two fan bases, uh, other than the fact they can't have parades, they've had a lot of fun stuff to be watching here over the last few months. Yeah, and the way the one game ended with all the drama, the hit into the outfield, the ball, then it comes in, then uh, the catcher loses it on the attempted spin move back to the plate. That's just a baseball play. I don't even remember if it was actually scored an error. There was uh, one after- one error scored on that pl- on that play, not two. In the outfield then. Yeah. yeah. That's just a play, and I've seen it happen. It's a hell of a play if, if the catcher can make it. Use, you know, an, an offline throw or he's got to go behind him. And then he's got to spin to get to the plate. A little, a little drama for sure. Uh, one game away for the Dodgers. I'm not so sure they wrap it up right away. It'd be great if they went the distance. It's been fun so far. Clayton Kershaw sure outstanding on the mound. Has taken a lot of heat from Dodger fans and from baseball fans. Looks like he's going to get it done this time around. But the way Tampa, like I said, Tampa doesn't quit. So we'll see how this plays out over the next little while. Like I said, maybe by the time people download this, it'll all be over. I'm pretty sure that that'll be the case. Do you want to get right to our guest today? Well, I think so. It's a hell of a lineup, no? Yeah, and by the way, Bob McKenzie uh, from TSN, who is now on his little semi-retirement out at the lake thing, is going to be joining mm-hmm. us next on the next podcast. Looking forward to that. Then we go into Masters Week. Got to be talking a little bit golf and I'm pumped up about that. I don't know how they're going to do that and make that work so it's as special as it is every April, but we'll see. I've been very surprised at how a lot of this stuff has been working out. Maybe it's just my interest level is high right now, and I could accept there not being fans at a football game or a hockey game, that kind of thing. By the way, Seattle finally losing a game on Sunday night in Arizona. They had a perfect 5-0 record going into that one. The Seahawks, boy, the only way that their record is where it is is that Russell Wilson's got to rack up 500 yards per game offensively. I always remember Craig McTavish saying that great goaltending can overcome an awful lot of deficiencies. And right now with Seattle, I'm not so sure their record is as good as it says it is, but we'll see. There's still a lot of NFL action to come as well. Okay, before we get to Harner Ryan Singh, before we get to Ken Chillaback, The Outsiders is brought to you by our friends at the Macintosh Group at Remax River City. Very happy to have them on board. They're our first sponsor. And uh, not only is Brent a fan of the podcast, but he's also been a friend of mine for over 25 years. We go back into the radio days, but he's been, uh, he's been involved with the real estate market since 1998, it's got a great group of uh, team. It's got a great team of agents over there, and they can help you with the sale of your home. Or even if you're looking at perhaps purchasing a home, they can show you pretty much. Things have changed a lot in the COVID days. People would go out no. and see about 25 homes. They don't do that anymore. There's also all these pictures up, and you can uh, you can get a real good lay of the land right by good photos. But uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's changed, and uh, they're up on top of everything, protocols, that kind of thing. So make sure you reach out to Brent and the Macintosh Group at Remax River City. They'd love to provide you with some good advice on selling your home or perhaps uh, purchasing a new home. They would like, they're very big on those sold stickers, you know? They like those sold stickers on those signs out front. So once again, their website, macintoshgroup.ca. Or you can give them a call at 780-464-0075. We appreciate their support very much. And uh, if you are interested also in becoming an advertiser, 
on our Outsiders podcast, make sure you just drop us a note. And our email address is mightymouth at shaw.ca. That's mightymouth at shaw.ca. Or you can also check us out on Twitter, simple handle. It is at Outsiders, all in caps, 2020. We're going to look back at 2020 as being a pretty crazy year, Robin. Oh, you think? Yeah, it's been <laughs> nuts. This has just been a crazy year. Also, don't uh, don't forget to tell your friends to subscribe to our RSS feed. That way, when a new podcast comes out, you get it right away on all of your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and many, many others. Okay, coming up next, Harnarayan Singh from Hockey Night in Punjabi. Stay tuned. Here it comes. Well, our next guest doesn't really need any introduction if you heard this at one point in time. <laughs> Harner Ryan Singh is joining us from Hockey Night in Punjabi. How are you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, it's great to have <laughs> It's great to have you with us after so, that. <laughs> Little smile on your face when that came up, huh? Well, I mean, uh, it's such a uh, it's such a once in a career moment, and um, you know, it, I smile because Nick Menino and I have this special bond. We've become good friends, and uh, we keep in touch. And he's going to have that for the rest of his career. I'll have that as well, and and it's it's amazing because. Um, something that happened 2016, the Stanley cup final. And, and even to this very day, we receive a lot of love from that. And, and it's such a crazy cult hero following we have in Pittsburgh with Penguins fans about that. And then it resonated all around the hockey world. So it's pretty, pretty cool experience. You have a book out and just perfect for this time of year It's Christmas and everyone loves to get a great book. But this one talks about your complete story. That's something very special. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I would think, um, you know, for myself, my family to be able to tell the story of uh, when my parents came to Canada and the struggles, the trials, tribulations, they had to go through my own childhood growing up in a small town um, and being able to tell the story that hockey was literally the icebreaker for me with my classmates and I and being so different with how I looked, um, the food we ate, the language we spoke, the music we listened to. Um, hockey was that connection for me and my classmates and I. And and so to be able to share that story, um, talk about some of the struggles with bullying, some of the, you know, just trying to be comfortable in my own skin and how much hockey helped me. Uh, and then the story of Hockey Night Punjabi as well and how that show came to fruition, the impact. And and then, um, yeah, there's there's so much to talk about just in terms of when we began this process for the book two to three years ago, uh, this the topics that are touched on in here about diversity and inclusion, about racism, about having representation in sports broadcasting, the book became a lot more timely um, given everything going on in the world right now. Now, Harner Ryan, if I've got this right, you were born in Wetaskiwin, but but raised in Brooks. And I heard you, I heard during an interview, you talk about several things that, I found fascinating. Um, one was a Northlands hockey stick that uh, was that symbol of all things Canadian hockey to you. And you also talked about that connection. Here's this kid uh, growing up in Brooks. Doesn't look like a lot of the people he's going to school with, but there was that connection through the game. How important was that for a young man like yourself growing up in that kind of surroundings? So very much important. Uh, you know, I would say my entire experience growing up in Southern Alberta would have been completely and drastically different had it not been for hockey. Uh, yeah, that Northlands Coliseum mini hockey stick was my first ever uh, present that I received, the first ever gift and toy. And uh, being born in uh, Wetaskiwin where cars cost less is a... Uh, 
uh, is a fun connection I have to Edmonton and, and the Oilers. And then growing up in the 80s when Gretzky was winning all of his cups, um, such an such an incredible time to grow up. And, uh, you know, even my, my kindergarten uh, class picture, my grade one uh, classroom picture, like I'm there where it's all a, it's a class of predominantly Caucasian kids. There might be one other person of color and then you have me with the turban and I'm the kid in the class picture wearing the hockey sweater. And, and, you know, in, in 1988, when Gretzky got traded from um, the Oilers to the Kings, we as a household switched allegiances real quickly. And in my kindergarten picture, I'm wearing an LA King sweater with Gretzky on the back. And um, I talk about that in the book uh, a lot in terms of how, uh, much uh, Gretzky helped fuel the passion for hockey, but it's it's an interesting um, storyline that you know. Here, my my parents were teaching me about our faith and our culture and our language and all these things. And one of the things I was being taught in our scriptures was to abandon your ego and to be a humble person. And here, I saw the greatest player on earth uh, breaking all sorts of Gordie Howe's you know records, winning all these cups, Art Ross trophies, you name it. But you know, he's always so simple when uh, he was always so humble when he was talking um, and winning and, 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 you know, giving credit to his teammates and giving so much respect to, to Mr. Howe and, and giving his father Walter credit and everything. So I, I really, that also helped, you know, fuel that um, kind of uh, the attraction towards Gretzky. And, and, and so I think, you know, when I was, when I was at school, I became known as the hockey obsessed nut. I probably had the most extensive hockey card collection. Um, all of my assignments, my conversations at school were uh, about ho- hockey. And when I was playing ball hockey with my friends, it was, you know, I, be- I became known as uh, nicknamed Gretzky because everybody knew I was so just obsessed with him. And um, had it not been for that, I mean, I was the subject of so much curiosity uh, every single day answering questions about my turban. How long is it? How long is your hair? Why, you know, all these things. And, and it, like, had it not been for hockey, it probably would have a much more negative experience. I do get into the book about junior high and high school years about bullying and racism. And sometimes that I had, but I would say in elementary school, especially uh, the obsession for hockey uh, really, really helped me. You've been doing this for a while now. Have you actually had a chance to talk to Wayne? Because sometimes that's that's a great opportunity to close a book on a small little chapter of your life. I was actually just uh, exchanging messages with him uh, just before we got on the on the air here because I'm I'm going to be sending him a copy of the book. Uh, as a fan, I was able to uh, get five authentic Gretzky autographs. My sister and I, and I touch on all of those stories in there. We went above and beyond, uh, even though we were in Brooks, Alberta, and my parents, both being teachers, now retired, they let us somehow uh, take off days uh, from school and figured out a way for us to get to Calgary to uh, go to his practices. We were we were waiting out at the hotels he was staying at. And um, also his charity golf tournaments when he retired, um, I talk about a story here, the last ever game that Gretzky played in the NHL in Calgary as a New York Ranger, and, and it's at the Saddledome enemy territory, you know, the, the vicious Battle of Alberta rivalry, but two and a half minutes left in the game, the entire crowd is standing ovation and chanting Gretzky, and my sister and I were brought to tears. Like, there's such, anytime we met him, even as a fan, he was just as advertised uh, so respectful, so humble. And then now as a broadcaster, I have had a chance to, to meet him. I filled in for Gene Principe hosting some Oilers games last season. And, and it was an Oilers road trip uh, in California. And I uh, had a chance to meet him there as well at the NHL 100 when we um, when the NHL celebrated 100 years anniversary. I was eating uh, at lunch at a restaurant in LA with my Hockey Night Punjabi colleagues. And Grant Fuhr was having lunch there. And we saw from the corner of our eye that Gretzky was there too. And we were trying to figure out, okay, do we go bother them or what? But lo and behold, Wayne Gretzky comes up to our own table to say hello. So that's just, that's just exactly the type of individual he is. He's so immensely popular, the biggest ambassador for the sport, but yet he's so down to earth. Well, that is such a cool story. And I, and I heard it. It's almost a, a full circle thing. You grow up like a lot of young boys did in this country and especially this province 
looking at Wayne Gretzky. Here's the greatest player who ever played the game. If I could only meet him. And then as you're into your broadcast career, Wayne Gretzky gets up and comes over to you uh, at the table. That had to feel uh, really special. I've got the picture actually right behind me up here. And, uh, and uh, you know, such a special moment. Um, Gretzky told me that his sons were fans of our goal calls for Hockey Night Punjabi, and they were often showing him some of our stuff. Uh, such a special moment. And, you know, there is, it's so funny because um, Ron McLean really likes to point this out, a good friend of mine and a mentor, that I grew up such a hardcore a Gretzky fan, and and uh, meanwhile, I'm in my career, the P- Pittsburgh Penguins, and it was Mario Lemieux who came onto the scene after Gretzky, and there was this, even though it wasn't like you know a geographical rivalry, there was this like okay, Lemieux was almost the new kid on the block, and him and Yager, and they started winning their cups, and it was like when I was a kid, I was I didn't like that, and then but here we go, and I, and I had a, a similar experience where Mario Lemieux came up to me in Pittsburgh with my colleagues and I, and when we were there for the Stanley cup championship parade in 2016, and he's like, okay, which one of you did the Benino call? I put up my hand. He not only pulled me in for a handshake, but gave me a hug. And it was the, his words of like his heavenly words saying, you're a part of Pittsburgh Penguins history. You're a part of our family forever. And it, you know, it was, it's so surreal to have those types of moments uh, happen. And I'm sitting here in my mid thirties. I, I, I didn't ever think I'd write a book. I can't even, it's hard for me to even realize or comprehend that this much happened uh, to me in my, in my life so far. So I'm very grateful. Okay. So how do we get from thinking about hockey night in Punjabi and actually getting it on the air? You want to backtrack a little bit on that and how tough that must've been? Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest with you, uh, I was asked so many times, uh, you know, as most kids are, but in the South Asian community especially, there's a there's kind of this pressure to do something strong academically where it's, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer, and the, the parents, it's just a common uh, thing in each family where there's a little bit of that pressure on. And I had it added because my parents were academics themselves and I have a sister who's a medical doctor and other, my other two sisters are managers and things. And so here I was saying, I want to be a hockey commentator. And there was so many people in my life early on um, through my schooling that said, you know, okay, they would laugh and they would, it would almost be sarcastic. And, and I would get the response, well, okay, what do you really want to be? And, and the reason why they were reacting that way is, and I was told pretty bluntly that nobody looks like you on TV um, there's not any diversity on TV. Like this is a, this is just a dream. It's not, it's not possible for it to come to fruition. And um, in my small town of Brooks, Alberta, my, the one local radio station we had there, I, I was able to get a shot to do high school news and sports and it, and it developed into a sponsored segment and I got more airtime with one of my buddies at school. And um, just because of that one uh, door that was open for me. I I thought I decided to give it a shot. I thought, well, if these guys in a small town with such less diversity, they gave me a shot, then maybe somebody well down the road. And when it comes specifically to, uh, so I went to broadcast school and I did an internship with TSN. I, I worked as a CBC radio reporter. But when it comes to hockey night Punjabi, nobody could have ever imagined that this show would ever exist. I mean, I look at my own family's history of how tough it was for my parents when they came in the 60s. My great-grandfather came over 100 years ago, and you, you read about how racist just simply the federal government was at that time, saying we only want a white Canada, and in just the tough times they had to go through. Even having the concept of Hockey Night Punjabi was just you know something we couldn't have even ever imagined. So when CBC Sports decided to try different languages. I was lucky enough to be working at CBC as a reporter at the time. Everybody knew I was a hockey nut. I was always pitching hockey stories. Kelly Rudy being also from Calgary and coming into the CBC building, and I would always go talk to him. And when they when they decided to try this, he put my name uh, ahead saying, hey, there's a guy in Calgary who's Punjabi and loves hockey. And, and lo and behold, it just exploded and we just finished our 13th season. It's been such an incredible run to see the impact of the show and how much it's growing the game, how much it's bringing families together. Um, 
you know, it's such a beautiful story. I'm so proud to have been involved. Now, one scene that just sticks with me, it hit me like a hammer, actually. You were at the desk and you were doing an interview with Robin Bawa. Now, Robin, I traveled the buses with Robin Bawa. I was covering him as a hockey player, both in New Westminster and in Kamloops, at about the time you were born. So that's a long time ago. And I remember, frankly, the crap he had to go through. The things that were said to him um, were just unbelievable. And, you know, we didn't talk a lot about it. Robin never held himself out there as a, a, a great example or anything. He just wanted to play hockey, much like you just wanted to be an announcer, regardless of what you looked like. Now, here we are 36 years later, you're doing what you want to do. We've made great strides, but there's still more work to do. Where do we go from here, uh, despite the strides we've made to this point? Yeah, well, when you mentioned Robin Baba, there was, I mean, he's the first ever player of Punjabi South Asian descent uh, to play in the NHL. And and there was a huge, um, after his time in the NHL, there was like so many years that passed. Uh, and then we had Manny Malhotra. And then uh, so many years passed, and now we have Jajar Kara. And it's, so it's slim pickings. It's very, um, it's very rare to have... Uh, people from the community get to that level, and and I, you know, I think I I would hope that in the future we will have more uh, diversity in the professional ranks, and and that starts with, for example, my family when when I was young we didn't skate like my parents weren't you know they weren't skating and my sisters weren't skating we weren't playing hockey I became a fan. And, um, you know, I, I played a ton of ball hockey and road hockey because that was easier to do if you didn't know how to skate or didn't have that example. And, um, but I think as time goes on, when you, when you have second, third, fourth generation Canadians from diverse families, then we're going to start to see uh, more people pick it up. But there's, there's so many obstacles in terms, of the, um, in terms of the cost of the game. There's also, we've got a lot of work to do to introduce the game to to diverse uh, Canadians too. The, ch- the face of Canada has changed uh, a lot since those days. And I think, you know, Hockey Night Punjabi is a great example uh, for a way to, to make it successful. You look at places like Surrey, where Jajarakara is from, or Brampton in Canada, uh, their minor hockey associations have a huge um, South Asian contingent there. But there is something to be figured out in terms of, I find a lot of, uh, players actually make it to the WHL, to the OHL, but then from there to get drafted to an NHL team, there is a little bit of a disconnect. I mean, we're finally seeing uh, in the broadcasting level, we're seeing more representation, but behind the scenes in the NHL from a scouting and a management perspective, that's like very, like diversity is basically non-existent in that realm. So I would say if we if we have more representation in the in the at the back end at the management side and the scout side and the coaching level uh, that's probably what's going to actually help make uh, the NHL and the professional ranks more diverse there's got to be a favorite story of you guys on the air because you do have your version of Don Cherry uh, you know from back in the day and you know obviously uh, there's a lot of fun stuff out there do you remember one or two stories in particular yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's some. Uh, we have a lot of fun on the show. To be honest with you, there's a there's a huge entertainment factor. A style of calling the game is very enthusiastic. We incorporate music and uh, food references and and everything into the call. But I mean, I remember once working with a, a producer uh, in the early days, and um, he didn't speak Punjabi, so we were using a lot of. Uh, when we were on the air, we were using like hand signals to say, okay, when we're ready to go. Yeah. Like, you know, the folding, the hands would be like, okay, we're, we're done our thought or we're done. This is the end of the segment. And it was, it actually worked well, but there's a funny story with Bob Cole because the legendary play by play guy who we've all heard call so many great moments in in hockey history. And uh, so we're, we're calling a game and uh, my producer comes in my ear. He's like, He's like, it's not Bill Cole, it's Bob Cole. 
And and I'm going back. I'm like, what are you talking? I was like, I didn't even mention Bob Cole. Like, what are you talking about? Again, like second period, he's like, it's Bill. Cole. The guy's a legendary play-by-play guy. You cannot say his name incorrectly on Hockey Night in Canada of all places. It's not Bill Cole. It's Bob Cole. And I'm starting to get animated and heated. I'm like, we're not talking about Bob Cole at all. Like, so anyways, the game finishes and he's standing there in front of me with his arms crossed. Uh, and and he's like, I cannot believe you guys. And I'm like, man, we did not say Bob Cole. We had no reason to reference him tonight. And so I'm like, Bob Cole, Bill Cole, Bob Cole. Like, why would we say? And then Bill Cole. And then I realized, like, Bill Cole. Bill Cole is a Punjabi word that's just like, that's right. Or, oh, yeah. Like, and, <laughs> and it was such a funny moment because everybody was so pissed off during the game. And then we figured out that it was just a misunderstanding. So, so that's one of uh, that's a funny moment that came to mind right now. Now, I you told a story about did you have like a, a toy or a, a plastic microphone where you wanted to be like Ron McLean and there the the funny thing was is and, and I say this with respect because I understand the generation but it's funny that. Ron McLean, somebody you looked up to, uh, was paired for so long with Don Cherry, who is from a different generation and his thoughts are a little bit different than what we'd like to see today. Yeah, I guess um, I didn't necessarily, because Ron, like that Don, the Coach's Corner segment was one out of so many things he did and he was hosting other panels and um, just front and center with so much. And then even the NHL awards he was hosting. So I kind of, uh, it wasn't nearly anything to do with Don. It was more just Ron was the face of the show. And um, he was just, you know, it's still so knowledgeable and just uh, such a professional about it. And then, um, and so that's why I kind of just uh, latched on to that in terms of a broadcaster, uh, in terms of play by play uh, back in those days for the flames games we used to get in Southern Alberta. Ed Whalen was the uh, yeah. play-by-play guy that I, and he would start every single broadcast with, hello, hockey fans. And it was his uh, iconic, uh, and I have a story about meeting him when I was a really young lad as well in the book. And it was, um, it, it actually forced me to think about how I looked as a sick individual of my faith in the, in the world, because I, we met him at a mall and, and he thought I was a girl because I had longer hair and it was kind of in a bonnet. Like when you're a young two, three, four year old sick boy, you're not wearing a full fledged turban yet. And so um, when he mistook me for a girl, well intentioned, but then I, I realized that, okay, I don't, I have to figure out how do I want to look in public. So I started wearing a full fledged turban a lot earlier just because of that one experience. And, um, but yeah, in terms of broadcasters, I mean, uh, Ron McLean, Ed Whalen, early Bob Cole, of course. And then as I grew up, you know, Kelly Rudy, uh, I met him when I was kind of high school, university age too. And, and I told him that, hey, I want to go into this industry. And he gave me the exact opposite reaction of what so many other people were saying. They were trying to caution me to say maybe behind the scenes you know, producing might be something, or if you get a shot on the air, then it might be news. Uh, And that's the type of stuff I was hearing, even when I went to broadcast school, believe it or not, because that's the times we were in. And uh, I had CBC managers when I was a reporter, even telling me to forget about hockey because they didn't think it was going to happen. And Kelly Rudy gave me the opposite. Uh, He said, he said, you know, go for it. And, and we kind of maintained that connection even up until this day, good friends. And so uh, th- those are the types of people who I think they are somebody that I would like to emulate. They're humble in their character. They're true professionals and they go out of their way to give other people time and advice and guidance. So Kelly Rudy and Ron McLean are those types of people I'm lucky to have had contact with in, in my career. You did have the opportunity to work out of the bubble. You had Chris Cuthbert there. You also had Louis DeBrusque. Another couple of guys, well, one in particular who's a Hall of Famer in the broadcast business, and Louis done such a great job coming up from his playing career. Yeah, and they are just a hoot to work with, such professionals, but they're also, um, you know, so supportive and friendly. And um, I had a I had a chance to bond with Chris Cuthbert over, um, you know, over coffee and to learn about his career and how he preps and. 
I, I try to be a sponge that way just to take in as much as I can to, to kind of better myself in the industry too. But yeah, and, and Chris Cuthbert's got that connection with, he was hosting for uh, the Oilers during the dynasty years. I mean, he was in some of the dressing rooms and, and doing all that. And he's called so many um, legendary moments in Canadian history with the, the golden goal. Uh, that's probably one of his biggest calls for sure when the Olympics in, in 2010 when Crosby scored for McGinley. Um, but then Louis DeBrusque is such a – I love his personality, so friendly, just always positive and laughing and former oiler. And uh, he's been a good friend of mine now for, for several years and great to work with them. And then another another guy, another Edmonton guy that I absolutely love is Gene Principe. Oh, yeah. So approachable. Uh, such a fun personality, but he also has helped me a lot in in the host role too of uh, you know teaching me what to expect and and how to navigate situations and and just uh, from the first day I met him and shadowed him and I, I've learned so much as well. So some really some really good uh, guys to work with and learn from. And being in the bubble was just such a thrill. It's a something I'll never forget for in my career. It was like the games were, it was Louis, Chris and I basically in that same area in the stands. And it felt like the games were just being played for the three of us. Yeah. You know what? It's funny. The longer you stay in this game, um, you'll find this. I think uh, Chris Cuthbert is a, is a good friend of, of Brennan myself. And uh, he's come on our podcast a couple of times People like Chris who are at the top of the game are often the most generous with relaying their experiences to younger people coming up. It's not like a state secret, I can't talk to you. They, just through storytelling, they let you know what's happening and maybe give you some direction without even meaning to. We talk about um, inclusivity uh, the Seattle Kraken have now hired uh, a fellow named Everett Fitzhugh um, to be their broadcaster. Slowly but surely, one person at a time. Maybe you're that voice for a, a, a fellow like Fitzhugh. To, maybe he's going to come up to you at some point and say, "What's it like? What's it like being in the show, uh, doing the NHL?" And you can be that voice for him. That, that's you know, it's one of my most. Uh favorite things to do is to be able to go to talk to high school and university students and, and tell them my story and, and also say that, you know, if someone like myself can make it, then whatever your dreams and aspirations are, we're so lucky to be in a country where if you work at it, you can have those come to fruition too. And um, I've, I've had that, those types of crazy moments now where um, kids, students have come up to me and said they never thought they would have a place in media, but seeing me there is something that's given them hope. And, and it's amazing. It's very, you know, humbling to be able to be that example and help break these doors open. And I mean, even for the hockey night Punjabi perspective, my own kids now who are five and three, they don't have to worry about that comment that I was continuously getting that no one's like you on TV or radio that they're getting to see that. So it's, it's so much representation is so important. And I'm, it's great to see the Seattle taking that step. Um, I would say, yeah, there's still a long ways to go for us to make it more normal. Right. Um, I, I've uh, experienced a lot of comments from my fellow Canadians, uh, which are little, you know, they make your stomach churn. Uh, you know, I initially got my first few, my foray into the English side, hosting games for Sportsnet. I, you know, I don't want my hockey being fed to me from a guy in a turban or there's, there's, there's all sorts of people out there. Even you mentioned Don Cherry when, when he was let go and when all that uh, happened, there was a ton of hate, hate and uh, a ton of racism on social media that not just myself, my colleagues, but other people in the industry and the news media, even uh, it was shocking to see the, the vitriol that was spewed um, back in those days. And I think that, you know, we need to continue to break down these barriers and even, even just this, like even you guys having myself on the show and we're just, you know, talking about these issues or ta reminiscing about hockey, it, it helps because it, it normalizes uh, to an average listener, having someone like myself diverse participating in such a Canadian conversation, such as hockey. So uh, it, it, all of this really helps. 
Okay, two final questions because we're up against the clock. How's the book doing? And second of all, have you actually had a chance to meet Bill Cole? <laughs> well, uh, the book, thankfully, is uh, is doing well. The very first week, we were an instant national bestseller, which is which is awesome. I mean, I never even I was approached to write the book wasn't my idea, but uh, it was. I'm so glad that we were able to do this, and uh, so the book is doing well, thankfully, and. Um, secondly, I'm like, I'm hoping it opens the door for more books about, uh, hockey and, and from a diverse perspective. So hoping it continues to do well. The, the question about Bob Cole, there's a whole chapter in here called hiding from Bob Cole. And, uh, <laughs> when I, when I was, uh, paying for my own flights, uh, in during the first few seasons of hockey night, Punjabi, um, I saw him from afar. I was hiding out in the lobby of the Sheraton Hotel attached to the uh, Pearson International Airport because I figured those couches were a little more comfortable than the benches. And I was like 2.30 in the morning and I saw him because he was always flying back to the Maritimes and I was flying from Toronto back west. And I saw him from afar and um, I, I didn't have the courage or the guts to go up to him because I thought he would say, oh, we're at the Sheraton. Do I have a room here? No, I had my luggage and my laptop bag like tied to my legs in case I fell asleep and, you know, <laughs> sleeping at the airports and all that. And I, it's, it was a missed opportunity to create such a, a rapport with him during those years. And I didn't realize it then, but we were doing the same thing. Like he was traveling every weekend from the Maritimes to Toronto to call games. I was traveling from Calgary to Toronto to call the games and it was we were almost I was almost mirroring his journey uh but I only have realized that upon reflection I met him once at the very last game at Rexall place he came out the Oilers had him come out to call that game uh, I have a picture with him from then and got to briefly speak with him but uh other than that I haven't been able to properly sit down and, and chat hockey with him well that's good stuff baby that's fabulous <laughs> Thanks for your time. And the what? name the name of the book, once again. Yeah, One Game at a Time is the name of the book, and it's available um, either Amazon or Chapters Indigo or your local independent bookstores. One Game at a Time, my journey from small-town Alberta to hockey's biggest stage. And for your audience, too, uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, Oilers stuff and a lot of Edmonton stuff in there. Well, this is the season for books. Uh, let's get as many copies as, uh, of that as we can. Under the Tree, uh, good reading, uh, and, and frankly, uh, uh, a wonderful story, a success story that's just starting. Um, best of luck with everything down the road, including, uh, let's get that book out there. Hey, yeah, it's cool because I obviously listened to you on the radio, Bryn, for a while back when you were here. And then, Robin, I've read your stuff for a long time, too, so it's uh, cool to be on for me. Well, we'll, uh, we'll get another we'll chance to chat. We'll have, we'll have you back, okay? Awesome. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, see ya. So there you go. Harna Ryan Singh from Hockey Night in Punjabi joining us on the big show today, talking about his book and some of his favorite stories. Hey, before we go too much further... Ken Chilibeck, from formerly from TSN, has got a great mountain lodge. We're going to get to Ken coming up in a couple of seconds, but one of the things we have to do, we have to tell you that The Outsiders is brought to you by our friends at Macintosh Group, the Remax River City Group, and uh, you know, one of the things we've been hearing about is how tough it is out there right now, Robin, with real estate in the Edmonton market. And uh, you know what? They're finding ways to, to get around it chatted with Brent not long ago and he said look we we uh, we, we take this on as a challenge it's not a problem and uh, people are more than welcome to track them down they've been going since 1998 and he's got a team of agents there that can help you with the sale of your home it's pretty uh, pretty simple to reach out for them too it's uh, it's the Macintosh group at Remax River City you can check them out online at macintoshgroup.ca or you can call them directly at 780-464-0075. Have you had a chance to meet the, the man himself? I have not yet met well, the man himself. Well, we will have to set up a nice lunch because uh, Brent's a great guy. I've known him for a long time. Actually, we go way back. 
when I was uh, hosting the Edmonton Eskimo broadcasts on CJCA oh, radio yeah. when it existed as a talk station. Brent was uh, my producer on a show called Primetime Sports for a couple of years. So his uh, he's done far better. Let me say he was good. He was good as a producer to broadcast, but he's way better as a realtor and having a lot more fun. So we'll we'll get out for lunch for sure. Okay. I think I was probably just a young boy when you were doing that show. Oh, that's harsh. <laughs> that is so harsh. <laughs> Once again, you can find them at MacintoshGroup.ca. They're all part of the uh, the group at Remax River City. Say hi to Brent. Tell him the outsiders sent you. If you're just even remotely curious about selling your house or you're looking to buy a new house, make sure you just give them a shout. 780-464-0075. Up next, it's Ken Chillaback. Well, look who it is. It's Ken Chilibeck, formerly of TSN, but that was a long time ago, Ken. Long time. 17 years. It's hard to believe. Oh, my God. I can't believe how quickly it's gone by. Were you one of the original guys, by the way? I was. I was. Uh, the first, uh, first out-of-Toronto person that they hired, I guess is the best way to put it. And um, I still reflect back on it sometimes when I look back, and it was a guy named Scott Moore who... Now is uh, uh, was with CBC and TSN and blah 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 over the years, and he was a, a cub reporter type of thing, assignment editor with with TSN, and he was looking for some part time people across the country, and um, I just said, well, I'm available, and uh, didn't hear back, didn't hear back, didn't hear back, and then all of a sudden I s- sent him a story on Jim Germany with the Edmonton Eskimos, remember, and he was coming back, he left. He'd retired and then came back, and I put this little story together on Jim Germany with the Eskimos, and then uh, they said, well, oh, what else can you do? Can you do a, another one? Oh, yeah, I'll try and do another story, and pretty soon it kind of advanced from that, and I was working at CFCW Radio at the time and trying to juggle all kinds of stuff 24 hours a day. You know what that's like, and finally said, well, give me a deal that makes it worthwhile for me to quit uh, CFCW, so... That was about a year later, so 1984. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it's amazing how fast time flies, Kenny. Sure. Uh, when I got here, you know, you were one of the staple guys here right in the middle of the mix. I showed up in 89, kind of wondering what the hell was going on. And then, you know, years went by, and again, you covered everything that mattered for, for TSN out of Edmonton. And then, boom, one day you were talking about this plan to – go off to Golden BC, and now we're talking 17 years, you told us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Total lifestyle change. I mean, smartest movie ever made or what? <laughs> well, we were saying earlier, I said it was a smart move until COVID hit. Now we're kind of like, what's next, you know? I mean, that's everybody's <laughs> in the same scenario, I guess. But uh, certainly I got out of the media, in my mind, at the, the right time, just because of what's happened with, TSN and all the layoffs and people having to change careers. And so I was able to change careers a little quicker. <laughs> well, the thing is, sometimes you wait too late and you don't get the chance to, you know, really enjoy uh, what you're doing. I mean, that's a significant change. You were as established as you could get in Edmonton. It wasn't some, like you were walking away from nothing. You were taking a bit of a chance, but having been out to Vagabond Lodge and seen it only, I mean, only for a day and a half or however long I was there, um, I look around and I go, yeah, I could do this. I mean, you're, you're an outdoorsman. Um, you write your, your blog uh, for the lodge. You seem to be completely enjoying the change of pace. You know, it's a great community that we have up here. It's a small little closely knit community. There's not a lot of us that live up at the resort uh, full time. But um, we've just made some awesome friends. It's like moving out to a smaller town. Uh, they know what you're doing 24 hours a day, which is good or bad. But at the same time, you meet people that are kind of in the same ilk, people that are looking for a change at whatever age, and they come out here. We've got a real eclectic group that live here, everything from some Brits that uh, immigrated 
from England years ago. And, you know, there's a few Americans and that have moved here and looking for a lifestyle change. And certainly it, it, it's happened. And uh, we've just enjoyed it immensely uh, in our backyard. You've seen my blog. I mean, I hate to keep <laughs> telling people about all the great things that we can do here, but it's trying to entice people to come here because it's always a challenge. I mean, it's no different than uh, trying to find the next story or scoop or whatever in, in the business. Uh, because like, how do we kind of keep progressing and how do you advance and how do you keep uh, paying the bills? <laughs> Vagabond Lodge is in Golden, not in Golden, just up the, up the mountain from, uh, <laughs> from the town. But man, yeah. it's just wonderful up there, Kenny. It's just, it, and the one thing that I've been noticing all summer you guys are really enjoying the Columbia River a lot in your kayaks. We got into kayaking a few years ago, and we just love it. It's one of those things that's not really tough on the body as you're getting a little older. Yes. So uh, you know, you're not running up a hill or running down a hill, but uh, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, and it's just such an underused part of our area here. I keep saying, like, we're on the river all by ourselves. I mean, if you were anywhere else in the world, you would have boats and, you know, kayaks and, and we're like all by ourselves for like two and a half hours doing a nice float down. So nice. It's so good. We did it a couple of weeks ago and I kind of went down the hill. We had one of our sons and his wife uh, with us and it was a little chilly, but hmm, this might be a little cold. But once we got on the river, it, it was beautiful and warm and, you know, floating down the river for two hours doesn't get much better. <laughs> And we got e-bikes. That's the other thing. You got to get an e-bike. If you get in the bike, especially as you get a little more mature, <laughs> e-bikes are so good to have because they're so much fun. You can go anywhere. <laughs> now, now, can we can we get up the hill to your place from the highway on an e-bike without pedaling? I that's what I want to know. You know what? You have to pedal, but you press a little button and you don't have to pedal very hard. You have to keep pedaling. You have to keep pedaling. There's no question. And that's what people, we get, there's a lot of purists here with the biking community and they kind of e-bike, blah, 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 that's cheating. And I said, you know what? I'm still pedaling. I'm not just sitting on a motor scooter. Matter of fact, it's no different than having all these gears. It, what do those gears do? Just makes it easier to pedal, right? Okay, I press a little button. It's a little easier to pedal. As simple as that. Hey, until you run out of uh, battery and then yeah, I, you don't want to do that. They're heavy bikes. <laughs> Are you getting some snow? Because that's the big thing for you. Your season's about to open up there, right? Well, it's crazy. We've had a lot of snow. We've had like 50 centimeters of snow in the last week. It's just nonstop. I was telling Robin earlier, it's like minus 12 yesterday morning. So it's a lot colder than normally you would ever get this time of the year. Um, and uh, so it's been snowing steady. And I see the weather forecast calling for some moisture, probably rain. In, uh, in Golden, but up here I'm suspecting we're going to get some more snow in the next week. We're supposed to be opening on uh, December the 11th is when the resort opens. There's all kinds of COVID things that people need to be aware of if they are coming skiing here. And people are kind of predicting like golf, like just went crazy this summer, right? Um, golf, people playing golf that had never golfed before because it was a great way to get out and social distance and still get some exercise and there's a lot of predictions that skiing is going to be the same way this winter. I think especially cross-country, and we have some amazing cross-country skiing in our backyard here, too. And you can go anywhere, snowshoeing if you want. So uh, people might think that, okay, Taking Horse is known for kind of downhill skiing and more extreme downhill skiing. But in reality, our backyard, put a pair of snowshoes on, away you go, get your cross-country skis out. They have a, a Golden Nordic Center here, which is fantastic. Costs $10 and the way you go for 40 or 50 kilometers on groomed uh, slopes or uh, runs, I should say. So we have a variety of stuff to do and, and uh, the snow will determine, I guess, how busy we are. But it's going to be a completely different world uh, for, uh, for the ski season and we don't know what to expect right now. Now, you uh, sort of answered my question, Ken. Things could change because it, it seems to change by the week. Things could change by the time uh, your scheduled opening is. But what sort of things are people looking at now uh, as far as regulations? What's in place now? How are, How's business going to change for you? Well, I think uh, one thing we're going to do is uh, we, we got out of it a few years ago, but we used to offer lunch to our guests. 
and uh, we're going to do it again. So if you're coming skiing here, we're going to offer lunch. The main reason is food services is going to be at a real premium up here um, because they don't have a lot of space and you have to make sure that there's all the social distancing in place. So obviously restaurants is one little place across by the gondola that's going to be takeout only. And uh, they're a busy, busy place. So it's going to restrict the number of people that can actually go and find a place to warm up, which is going to be an issue. And secondly, be able to get something to eat and eat quickly and get back on the slope. So that's going to change the whole complexion of the resort. Apri ski is probably gone. You know, you're not going to be going parting it up, hopefully, in um, in the bars next door because that's that's a no-no. So they're going to try and restrict that. So it's, it's going to be different, uh, very different. We don't know what to expect yet. One thing we know that right now it's, no, uh, unless you have a mask, there's no service, which is good. Um, they're really clamping down on that at the resort. The only time you can take your mask off is when you're skiing. Otherwise, you've got to have a mask on. And I think that's a good policy right now. Hey, Ken, how do people get a hold of you guys at the lodge if they're curious about booking at any point during the, the ski season? How can they reach you? Well, probably the best way is uh, on our website. We have our email address, and it's Vagabond Lodge with a B, vagabondlodge.ca. And if you go to that website, we have all the links to uh, our phone number and our email address. It's uh, it's quite simple. Um, people can book also. Sorry, go ahead, Brent. No, um, I, yeah, you can yeah. book online. And uh, you can book online through booking.com and things like that. But we have a uh, little better deals if you go direct and we save money giving to the uh, wholesalers around uh, the world. I recall before you left and we were at an Oilers practice and Glenn Sather was there and he heard that you were getting involved in this, this lodge <laughs> up in the Rockies and you could see his little eyebrows go up like, well, that sounds kind of fun. Uh, did, uh, did he ever talk to you any further about that? Cause he just seems, that seemed to be a project that he was really interested in. Yeah. We chatted briefly uh, at the end of the season. I remember when I was there, we talked off and on and, we were looking for some people that uh, wanted to invest and he was one of the people on my list and, but he elected not to. So that, <laughs> he's in Bath having a good life, I guess right now too, <laughs> without all the headache. <laughs> so he, so he, he didn't end up buying the entire mountain or anything. <laughs> no, no, but uh, we, I don't want to even go there, but no, he didn't. <laughs> he does golf here once in a while. I know that we have a great golf course. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was a little scared of the bears though. The one time that, that you and I golfed there because it was berry season and you could see all the uh, leftover berries and other product from the bears. I was just waiting for mom and, and some of the cups. I had to one on my deck. I had one on my deck last week. I had a, a box of apples and it was my mistake. And, and uh, I had somebody give me a box of apples and I left it on my deck and about 1230 at night, uh, we were woken up and what the heck's that? And we look out the window and, there's this big old black bear just inhaling all these apples. So I had to get rid of those the next morning because that's the one thing you don't want is those bears hanging around. Hey, we don't have a ton of time, but I, let's just talk about a couple of fun stories from your TSN times. 1990, coming back from Boston <laughs> on an airplane with the Edmonton Oilers, and it was a five-and-a-half-hour flight. It's It's one of my most unbelievable memories because it was – the wall kind of came down a little bit between the media and the players. It wouldn't be that way now, but that plane trip coming back from Boston to Edmonton was crazy, huh? Could you imagine if that came out now? <laughs> in yeah. this day and age of what went on in that plane, I hate to say it, but uh, yeah, there was uh, and an interesting, uh, how much do you want me to tell? Uh, I don't, yeah. Well, there, there's a lot of those stories that have been getting out. Yeah, what are they going to do to me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with the girl with the uh, spandex outfit that uh, joined the plane in Boston and, and uh, Glenn Sather and his wife were there and Peter Pocklington and his wife. And all of a sudden, this girl that was on the plane, uh, we didn't know where she was from or where she, she didn't know where she was from or where she was going. All I remember is that she was left at the airport and was it Dick Chube that uh, picked her up and took her to one of the parties that the Oilers were having uh, after they won the Stanley Cup. Is that the story you wanted me to <laughs> Well, that's, that's one of them. And what I found out about that from further investigation was that 
She was turned around immediately by customs when she she didn't have any passport or anything when we no. got to Edmonton. Didn't have a pocket to put them in. So one of the <laughs> things that I'd heard was that Slats had told Glenn Anderson or one of the guys because you bring it up and they just kind of smile and laugh. I think it was yeah. Andy that took her out the back way, upstairs to departures, bought her a ticket to get her back to Boston. But to get to Boston from Edmonton, he had to go through Toronto. They had to phone Toronto to make sure. That from a custom standpoint, she could get back to the U.S. It's a funny story. <laughs> no, you sure couldn't. And then the other thing too is that we had singers at the back too by the bathroom, if you recall. <laughs> Who was that? I can't and, remember. Uh, Mark Messier, uh, Glenn Anderson, and then Kevin Lowe. Simply the best by Tina Turner. It was just a crazy that's, flight. It was just nuts. And the Stanley Cup sitting right in the middle of the the back seat there, at the back of that plane. I, I remember that one. I know. <laughs> Any yeah. other stories that you did that, that just stick out for you? Oh, you know what? There were so many of them. I, I, I did so many of them, that very unique stories, everything from up in the Northwest Territories, a, a jet boat racing. I lost my hearing up there doing a story for TSN. Uh, we were doing uh, the world jet boat racing. Yeah, on uh, what, I can't remember the river that flows through Hay River. And I uh, got on a, a jet boat with my cameraman for about 15 minutes. And when I got off, I had no hearing for about three or four days and probably my hearing my wife keeps saying uh, you're not listening to me and I kind of blame that incident on it that uh, it took about three or four days before my hearing came back but yeah we had some fun times uh, absolutely it was a different world uh, trying to cover the Oilers I, I came across a, a story the other day that I'd done uh, with Mark Messier and we're sitting and you know about this both you guys what it was like in those days I was sitting in the stands talking one-on-one with Mark Messier. I mean, how nice is that? And how difficult, excuse me, how difficult is that to do now? Um, It's almost virtually impossible. Um, It's almost impossible to do that kind of stuff. And then I asked him about his injury. And sorry, guys, uh, just my phone is ringing here. I'm just going to If that's business, you should go get it. No, no, it's not. (laughs) There we go. Um, um, and, And I asked Mark, he'd been out of the lineup for a few days. And, yeah, he had a knee injury, and he actually told me he had a, a knee injury. And it's going to be another week before I get back. Now, nowadays, it's like upper body injury and stuff like that. But just sitting in the stands and look at this, it's like, wow, what's that a treat? In those days, eh, we'd walk up to a guy like Mark Messier, great wing rescue, and say, well, can we do an interview after practice? Oh, yeah, no problem. Nowadays, well, I mean, it's impossible. You know, big, long stick try to find a, a little 30-second clip that you can use. So a little different world, yeah. The website, once again, to get a hold of you and maybe come up and visit, I'm sure you'll have Baileys and coffee and everything up there. So once again, you Absolutely. did when I was there anyway. So once again, the website, Ken. Yeah, it's www.vagabondlodge, all one word, dot ca. And all our links are there for phone numbers and email addresses. And just tell them, Bryn and Robin, to give you a call. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll take care of you. You guys know that. <laughs> Beautiful. Thanks for your oh, time. Yeah. This has been great. We'll, hey, do, we'll, awesome. we'll do this again and talk more stories, okay? That'd be awesome. I have to remember them, though. <laughs> I know. Thanks, Kenny. Okay, guys. Robin, Bryn, be safe out there. Well, that wraps up podcast. Podcast. I'm a head <laughs> okay. case. Podcast number 30. And it was a lot of fun. Big thank you to our guests, Harna Ryan Singh and Ken Chillebeck. Anything you want to say before we dash off here? Or are you okay? No, I'm good. You know what? That was a top drawer show. The only thing I, you know what? I think down the road, wouldn't it be good to be sitting at the Vagabond Lodge with Kenny Chillebeck and Harnarai and Singh talking hockey one nice hot August evening. That would work for I'd, me. I'd be happy to do that at any time because, well, you both of us have been up there to the Vagabond Lodge. Yep. I loved it. You want to talk about a chilled out, relaxed view, 
you get to you cross the Columbia River on this one lane bridge that's gotten you've been across that wooden bridge, right? Uh-huh. It's it's pretty spectacular. The view up there. I'd be happy to go up there and do a podcast anytime with Ken and whoever else wants to come with us. So thanks for your time today. As we mentioned, Bob McKenzie from TSN, he's in this semi-retirement thing. He's going to be joining us. And in two weeks, the Masters is coming up. We've got to try to get a hold of Cam Cole. We're going to keep trying. Cam's attended more than one or two of those. And he's a great, he was a great writer. Really was a great, great golf writer too, I always thought. He, he always found a great way of telling the story, don't you think? Fantastic writer. The first time he went to the Masters was when him and I flew to Florida uh, when the Edmonton Trappers and the Pacific Coast League hooked up with the Florida Marlins. It was such a bizarre relationship being so far apart. And he went from spring training a couple of days of that to the Masters. And I think, I want to say he rattled off 20-something in a row after that. He was the go-to guy uh, for the Masters and for golf in that newspaper chain for decades. Also, I think one of the opportunities, they, they did a draw with all the journalists and the media guys that were attending. I think he had a chance to play Augusta National, too, once. He won the lottery. and So anyway, we'll see mm-hmm. if we can track him down. Hey, listen, yep. thanks for your time today. This is always great, and I look forward to next week. See you then, pal. Okay, we'll do. The proceeding was recorded earlier because we were ashamed to do it now.